All right, well, um, welcome, to, welcome to the third talk of our series. Um, so we've been thinking, the, the theme of this series is Finding God in Ordinary Life. If you remember, this is the kind of st starting and finishing image of the first week. About whatever normal activities we're doing, we can find God there. Whatever normal activities we're doing, um, we can sanctify them, make them holy, offer them to him, do them for him. Then last week we talked about a plan of life, how to organise and systematise a structure, just as a monk has a structure to in the lay state, to plan a structure of how to use the different tools of the spiritual life. Now tonight's talk is called Sons in the Sun. Uh, this isn't in a sense, a, a how-to talk. It's not a practical talk in the same way. This is more about the goal, about the vision, what it is we're aiming for, um, what we're about. So, ask three questions here. What is a Christian's identity? What describes his or her calling? What's the goal of the spiritual life? And the answer to all of these is the words that were spoken from heaven when Jesus was baptised. This is my son, the beloved. Um, the same that was said on Mount Tabor at the Transfiguration. Um, again, the voice spoke from the cloud. This is my son. In baptism... We become united to Jesus, so that title becomes our title as well. Uh, he is the Son. If I am united to him, I likewise am a son in the Son. So, to put that a bit more technically, there's a word called divine filiation. Um, filiation meaning as in a son, uh, from the Latin filius. Um, and this was a big theme in the 20th century. Um, so what I'm going to be kind of unpackaging for you tonight is um, some different ways, some different implications of what that means uh, in two saints in particular from the 20th century. So uh, St. Therese of Lisieux, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with, um, and the, the saint I've been quoting in the last couple talks, St. Josemaria Scriva from the 20th century. Um, so St. Therese, a uh, French Carmelite, um, she was called by Pope um, Pius X the greatest saint of the 20th century. And she actually lived in the 19th century, but her influence impacted the 20th century. So if you remember her life, she was an enclosed sister. So she didn't, in a sense, have any impact outside of that little cloister until after she died and her writings were spread across the world and she had a huge impact. So the greatest saint of the 20th century, uh, even though she lived in uh, the 19th. St. Jose Maria, uh, this is um, a little excerpt from this homily that was given at his canonization by Pope John Paul II, he described him this way. A master of the practice of prayer, his constant pastoral concern to spread among all men and women the call to share through Christ 
in the dignity of God's children. <clears throat> St. Josemaria was chosen by the Lord to announce the universal call to holiness and to point out that daily life and ordinary activities are a path to holiness. One well, we could say he was the saint of ordinary life. So he's behind a lot of the thinking I've been drawing from and talking about finding God in ordinary life. But the dignity of God's children, so what it means to be a child of God, um, is foundational in both of these two saints. So what I want to spend a little time with is in each of these two saints, because they focus it slightly differently, to see what they kind of each bring to this theme. So I've already said St. Therese, most popular fi fi figure in piety in the 20th century. Um, we must be one of the few churches in the country that doesn't have a, a statue or an image to her. Uh, lots of churches do have one of her. Um, you'll often see, you know, where candles are lit, lots of people are rushing to her. Uh, she's a very popular figure. And spiritual childhood um, was her big thing. Uh, I've summed that up in three words from her writings. Littleness, humility, and simplicity. So littleness in terms of looking to God. Humility in terms of confidence in God, because the Father loves us, because the Father is strong. And simplicity, she said, I, I only love simplicity. I have horror of pretense. Now, all of these in different ways are linked to being a child. So St. Therese, she died when she was still very young in her early 20s. Um, she had her mother die when she was not quite an infant, but very nearly still an infant, and, and retained a childlike style in her writings and maybe her emotional character. But in any saint, what makes them a saint is that they take often what's kind of a natural problem and somehow turn it into a wonder to meet God. And for her, childhood um, was this on all kinds of levels. Simplicity. One of the things about little children is that they are simple. There's that phase when they can't even lie yet. You know, that they're, they're pretty straightforward. And, and that phase when, even when a child's lying, it's pretty obvious they're lying because their lies are just not that complicated. Um, simplicity is one of the things, if we are to be like little children, you remember in the Gospels, Jesus says that you must change and become like little children. Uh, and simplicity is one of the things she focused on in that regard. Littleness. A child... A child knows it's little. Who does a child go running to in all of its different problems? It goes running to mummy, it goes running to daddy, it goes running to somebody who's big. But the child knows he's little. And so humility is a natural thing flowing from that to accept that we are little. If we and that's what it means to be spiritually a child, to accept that I'm little before he who is great. But in her, that was linked with confidence in God. She, she was blessed with a, a very 
good, loving Father, as she had great confidence in the fatherhood of our Heavenly Father, uh, that in all things, even in her suffering, to have confidence in the love of God. So some of you may have read bits of her writing or read her biography, The Story of the Soul. Lots of people, myself included, would have struggled with kind of the childish, saccharine nature of some of her writings. So it's important to remember when we're thinking of her as this little child who is so sweet, just how much she suffered. Uh, she died from tuberculosis, um, and part of her suffering was that the doctors diagnosed her all wrong. So she had all kinds of additional suffering because of the misdiagnosis. And it's a horrible way to die. Um, but she bore it all with great love, with a, with a smile, and somehow even in her suffering to have confidence in the love of care of God for her. So littleness, humility, simplicity. Looking to God the way the little child looks to daddy. So this is uh, a passage from her autobiography, what she called The Little Way. I will seek out a means of getting to heaven by a little way, a very short and very straight, a little way that is wholly new. We live in an age of inventions. Nowadays the rich need not trouble to climb the stairs, they have lifts instead. For well, I mean to try to find a lift by which I may be raised unto God, for I am too tiny to climb the steep stairs of perfection. Thine arms then, O Jesus, are the lift that must raise me up even down to heaven. To get there I need not grow, on the contrary, I must remain little, I must become still less. So contrary to that image of someone who's so full of themselves as they're climbing up, she's saying, no, I'm content to remain little, to have confidence in him to, to lift me up. So this is a very scriptural image. Um, so she's afraid, these are things, uh, two passages of the Bible she'd quote in her writings. From Proverbs, whoever is a little one, let him come to me. And from Isaiah, you shall be carried at the breasts and upon the knees they shall caress you. As one whom the mother caresses, so will I comfort you. Who in the scriptures does God have a special concern for? The little ones, the needy ones. So if we allow ourselves to be little, if we see ourselves as needy before him, then he will be our, our lift, our shortcut to heaven. Another aspect of writings is her particular vocation. She said she was called to love. So here's a, a famous passage of hers. I knew that the church had a body composed of various members, parts, but in this body the necessary and most noble member was not lacking. I knew that the church had a heart and that such a heart appeared to be aflame with love. I knew that one love drove the members of the church to action. And if this love were extinguished, the apostles would have proclaimed the gospel no longer. The martyrs would have shed their blood no more. 
I have found my place in the church, and you gave me that very place, my God. In the heart of the church, my mother, I will be love, and thus I will be all things. So she wrote that um, at the end of a, in a sense, a spiritual journey of, of struggling to think, well, what was her particular vocation? That she knew she wasn't called to be a martyr to go abroad, uh, to, or to be a missionary to go abroad, wasn't called to be a priest. What was she called to do? Which part of the mystical body was she called to be? To be the heart, to be love. And in being that, she saw she was everything, that love has to be in everything. Love proves, it it, proves itself by deeds. So how am I to show my love? Great deeds are forbidden me. The only way I can prove my love is by scattering flowers, and these flowers are every little sacrifice, every glance and word, and the doing of the least actions for love. So you might remember when I spoke the first of these talks about what it means to offer God ordinary things in life, it's to do them for love of him. Um, but she particularly spoke about little sacrifices, that she didn't think that little though she was, that she'd be able to do great grand things, but she'd do little things. Well, she'd do them with love. And in that sense, they would become Right, moving on to St. Josemaria. Um, so this is just a repeat of the quote I quoted earlier. This is what John Paul II said about him. Um, that his focus was on the dignity of God's children, a saint of the ordinary life. What St. Josemaria's focus adds to St. Therese is this focus on dignity. And so I want to kind of unpack that in speaking about different things. So whereas sometimes St. Therese can seem to make us not just childlike, but childish, is the criticism. Um, what St. Josemaria adds is a, a sense of a more adult child, if that makes sense, a, a dignity with it. So I want to talk about what he described as the greatest grace of his entire life that came to him when he was 29 years old, on a tram, and he said, marked him forever. So I said he was the saint of ordinary life. So it's kind of, I think, significant that his defining moment, his mystical moment above all other moments, didn't occur to him wrapped in prayer in a church, but while out in the midst of the world, busy on a tram. And he's, you know, he's the one who talks a lot about everywhere you are in life can be a place where you meet God. Well, he, when he was um, three years before that, when he was 26, he had um, an experience. So St. Therese had a, an experience that her vocation was to love. He had an experience by which he sensed his vocation was to set up an organisation, ultimately called Opus Dei, that would be a structure to teach and form lay people all across the world how to come to God, not while going into the monastery, not while going into the convent, but staying 
in the lay world. But he reached a stage three years in, at the ancient age of 29, when he went through something of a crisis in which he'd started various parts of his apostolate and he reached the stage when it just seemed all too much for him. And in this crisis, he was thinking, how can he do this? this? This calling, it seemed so big, so impossible. And in the midst of this spiritual crisis, there on the tram, in the midst of busyness, he had the sense of God touching him. And what God fills him with was a sense of his being a son of the Father. And a sense that being the son of the Father means you're important, means you have dignity, means you have importance. And so the, the little one who felt he was struggling and unable to do the task, the son of the Father, uh, the Father will enable him to do it. So here is a pictorial image um, it's amazing what you can get on Google. Um, but that one, I think, sums up quite nicely what we're wanting to say. When we're talking about a son, it's a firstborn son. So I'm saying here, this is a scriptural image and a historic image. It's not a modern image, but it is scriptural. So the baby who is born to be king, he is born and as the firstborn son, the heir to the kingdom, he has a dignity, a destiny, a status, a power. He is just a baby, but as the firstborn son, it's all his. And this isn't a modern image, because we don't, you know, all, all kinds of bits of this aren't part of modern living, apart from kind of the, the rare exceptions of your in the house of Windsor. Um, so to understand this image, we need to think biblically and we need to think historically. And so when Jesus talks about being the son, and when he's revealed in the Bible as being the son of the father, to understand that we need to think historically, think what that meant uh, in the Bible. So when the voice speaks from heaven saying, this is my son, the beloved, that's the, the image, the concept we need to have. That what's the father saying that it's all his, that he is the heir to everything. This is from the letter to the Hebrews. Have you forgotten that encouraging text in which you are addressed as sons? The letter is saying that this applies to you, all of you, you, are sons. What was said of him is said of you. So Henry VIII, we all remember, uh, a happy figure for Catholics. Um, <laughs> the whole thing with Henry VIII wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the problem of an heir. That an heir was so important, he wanted an heir. So therefore he had another wife and another and another um, desperate for an heir. 
which is, in a sense, one reminder historically of how crucially important for so much of human history the thought of an, an heir is. Even if in our era it might be something we can kind of fail to, to see as important. So, the dignity of heirs. Two quotes from the Bible here. Romans. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Galatians. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. A co-heir with Christ. An inheritor of the cosmos. Now here I want to spell out a difference to you. A thing that makes you in your baptism different from those who are not baptised. Everybody can say that this is true of them. By the very act of being created, a human being has God as his creator, as his Lord, as his master. Whether you want it or not, a human being in coming into existence, that's how you relate to God, creator, Lord, master. You don't have him as your father unless you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, there's a whole extra thing that changes in your relationship. By the act of being adopted in Christ, this is you. You are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir. Firstborn son, I was called to this, I was given this. This is a little, this is, this is Father Dylan some years ago. Um, so mummy always said I was special. She treated, <laughs> treated me like I was special. Um, that I was called to this from my baptism. That age I was already baptised. This, this was mine already. This is my destiny already. Okay, a couple of quotes here from St. Josemaria um, about the pride of a son of God. Pride often, or typically we speak of as a sin, but there's another sense, another nuance of it by which it can be a, a, a good thing. So he says this, firstly, rest in divine filiation. God is a father, your father, full of warmth and infinite love. Call him father frequently and tell him when you are alone that you love him, that you love him very much and that you feel proud and strong because you are his son. Then, children, how they seek to behave worthily in the presence of their parents, and the children of kings, in the presence of their father, the king, how they seek to uphold the royal dignity. And you, don't you realise that you are always in the presence of the great king, God, your father? And then, father, said that big fellow, a good, a good student at the university. I was thinking of what you told me, that I'm a son of God. 
And I found myself walking along the street, head up, chin out, and a proud feeling inside, a son of God. With sure conscience, I advised him to encourage that pride. So a pride rooted in my relationship to God, not rooted in me, not being about my success, me being great, but a pride that comes from being the son. So the dignity of the son of God. Um, Each detail matters. Small details are seen by the father. Dignity comes from God, not from us. So I kind of said that already, that if this is going to be understood correctly, it has to also be a pride with humility that Humility in the sense of realising where I am before him, that I'm not replacing him, I'm not a rival to him. Um, But details matter. So when St. Josemaria would talk about sanctifying ordinary things, he would talk a lot about how ordinary things matter. Um, If you are doing something as a son of the Father, then what I'm doing must be important. Even if it is just a small thing like cleaning the table, the son of the father is doing this. This must be an important thing. That these small details matter because God wants me, the son of the father, to do this. And therefore I should do it with a sense of pride. I should do it with a sense of doing it well, a sense of doing it for my father. And then with that, he'd talk also a lot of the joy of a son of God, um, which is a fruit of loving and a fruit of knowing that you are loved. So when you, to know you're loved is to know joy. Um, But equally with that, to give in love is also a feeling of joy. another quote from him happy the question made me think words have not yet been invented to express all that we feel in the heart and the will when we know ourselves to be a son of God right another aspect of this Um, so St. Therese of Lisieux talked about confidence um, St. Josemaria talked about it in terms of the care that the Father has for you. So he'd say, God is always near us. He's not far away in the heavens high above. He's interested in all we do. He loves us more than all the mothers in the world love their children. And he'd say, it's a personal love, that he is our Father. So a summary of all that. Um, said the greatest grace of his entire life, he said, was that moment on the tram when he knew that he is a son of the Father. That this gives him a dignity and a pride that he knows with that the care the Father has for him, the love that the Father has for him, and the fruit of that being joy and happiness. Look back to St. Therese, 
summary of what she said, littleness, the little one happy to be little, humility being a natural state before the greatness of God, confidence in the goodness of the Father, simplicity the way that a little child can't even really lie, it's just straightforward, love to be the love in the heart of the church and offering spiritual sacrifices in love. Now, a closing thought. Um, so if you go to Wikipedia and you look at the standard criticism it will talk about of St. Therese of Lisieux. Um, these are two pictures of him, uh, of her, rather. Um, it will say, um, sentimental, immature, infantilizing, girly, Whereas if you put that in the positive, simple, straightforward, um, an approach to the spiritual life that people of every background can understand and adopt. Because it's simple, because it's not complicated, everybody can understand this. And I think this is why she's been such an appealing saint in the 20th century. Um, she did die very young. So, in a sense, it's natural that there should be a youth in her writings. Uh, if you've read the story of her soul, that her, her autobiography, um, that was written at th three parts, at three different ages. Um, the first part, she was still, even at a physical level, quite young. Um, but, if we are going to... in terms of a criticism of that sentimentality, people would point out that we live in an era where there are few men in church. There are even fewer single men in church. Um, that religion is seen as a feminine activity. So at Mass on Sunday, there will be some husbands there with their wives. But how many men will there be there that aren't brought by their wife? Very, very few. That there's, in our culture somehow, we've got the sense religion is a, a womanly thing. Um, and there's a, a risk in the packaging here of the sentimentality being presented in a way that the man somehow doesn't engage with. Um, so to come back to the image of the firstborn son, there's a different way of packaging that that isn't just sentimentality. Um, destiny, dignity, status, power. So she too, we can say, is called to this. She was given this. Um, and kind of a final thought, she is a firstborn son. Um, so... Um, we can say, and scripture does say, that we are children of the Father. But if we're going to, in a sense, root ourselves in the scriptural image, that women too have all of the dignity of the firstborn son. Um, so that we're all sons in the son. Christianity gives, a, in that sense, a masculine status to women. 
in a way that Islam or Mormonism um, simply don't. So they're also a strong and not a weak image of Christianity. So summing that all up, what I've been talking about, the Son. This is my Son, the Beloved. And if you are united to Jesus as you are in your baptism, if you live that out in your relationship, in your prayer, then this, um, this is true of you too. You are a child, so to be little, to trust and have confidence. You are a son, therefore an heir with dignity, pride and value. And you are loved, and so have joy, happiness and security.